Good morning, church. So good to see you. Do me a favor, take out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15, where we're going to be looking uh, here today. If you are a guest with you let, uh, with us today, we're so glad you're here. Let me let you in on a little, a little you have just dropped into a little bit of a family huddle. Uh, we started last week. We're going to go a couple more weeks after this, but just know that Bannockburn as a family is meeting together. I'm just sharing from my heart, from the text of Scripture, on where God has us as a church and where He's. I feel like He's taking us, and and we're we're going to be looking at some investments that we need to make as a church that I'm leading us to make as a church. So just know you're in a little bit of a family meeting the next few weeks. However, on August the 22nd, we're going to get back to normal. Um, that you're going to come into a service where we're going to be going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going. It's it's really we titled the series, um, the search for happiness. Everybody wants happiness. It's a God-given thing in creation that we want. We really want to be happy, um, but there's a whole lot of things we seek to make us happy that don't make us happy. And the Bible in the book of Ecclesiastes takes us on that journey. And it even lets us go down the paths of the things that don't make us happy to take us where, to the things that really will make us happy and how, how God determines that. So, the search for happiness. We invite you back. We invite you to come back. Bring a friend that week. If there's ever a time when you brought a friend, August 22nd would be the time uh, to bring them. Uh, but we're thankful that you're here with us here today. But um, last week we did begin this vision series. I'm just talking to you from my heart where we are as a church, where I feel the Lord taking us. I laid out four vision investments that we talked about last week, and I want to keep these statements in front of you um, each week. And the first one is invest in our campus facilities for future impact. I talked a little bit about that last week. Secondly, invest in a multi-site expansion in Butte-Kyle. I'm going to be talking a little bit about that this morning. And then Thirdly, invest in positioning Bannockburn as a haven of hope and healing for the hurting. Now, if you're a life group leader or someone uh, on staff or something, you might hear those words and know what I'm talking about with that. But basically what that is, let me give you a, a little bit of a precursor. Um, it's me, I'm, I'm, we need to invest in being a church that completely adopts the biblical counseling philosophy as a church, that we have become a church where every member is trained in biblical counseling. Um, I'm going to unpack that more next week, but here's why I say that. This coming Saturday, we have a life group orientation training. We have two of those every year in our church where we come, all our life group leaders come together and we um, prepare ourselves for the next semester of ministry, which will be the fall, this coming Saturday. But this one, all of us are coming together from 9 a.m. to noon. We're going to be in this room right here. There will be breakfast and coffee available. And if you're wanting to know more about the Biblical Counseling Initiative I'm going to be talking about next Sunday, then come Saturday, 9 to noon. Dr. Cheryl Bell is going to be here um, next Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon. Uh, PhD. She's at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. She's going to be coming and talking to us about the foundation of biblical counseling. What is it all about? What does it mean to be a church that is um, that is prepared and that can be a, a haven of hope and healing for a hurting world? Um, that's where we're headed. But if you want to get real detailed about it, you want to get the details on that, come next Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon. We welcome you back. I think it'll be great. Life group leaders will be here. Um, but all of you are welcome to come. You don't have to uh, register. It's a free event, so just come in this room, 9 a.m. to noon, okay? So, number four, 
will be invest in planting three churches in North American cities where the gospel is needed most. And I'm going to talk about that in our last week um, in two weeks. All right, so let's come back. Number two, invest in a multi-site expansion in Buda Kyle. Let me start at the root here. I want to I want to I want to show you a pattern of ministry biblically um, to begin to move toward um, what I'm recommending for us as a church here. Matthew 16:18. Jesus said, of course Peter's great confession of Christ. Um, he is responding to that and he says, "And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church." That word church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus in this moment is prophetically speaking about the future of the church, the church, the global church, the big C church, if you will, of his people coming into the kingdom and taking over the earth. Uh, he is saying that and, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is saying a couple of things here that are very interesting. First, Jesus said, I will build my church. Um, he is the builder of his church. So this is a totally supernatural process and empowered thing by Jesus himself. He builds his church. Secondly, but Jesus builds a church. Um, literally, the word there is a gathering of people, an assembly, uh, you, the called out ones. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you could, you could uh, describe this. Um, but he's basically talking about the gathered ones. And that's what he's talking about is the universal church. The gathered ones of the church all over the world. The last 2,000 years. That's the people that he's talking about here. And then he says that that church, that group of people, those gatherings are on the offense. Many of us look at this and we think of it in some way like the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the church just stands there with a shield and the fiery, uh, you know, the fire from hell is not, not hurting us. Uh, that's not the picture. The, the picture is the opposite. That we're storming the gates, the capital city of hell. Uh, that the church is on the offense. That we take every bit of ground the enemy has had from him. Uh, and, and this is the idea. And we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That we are the people of God. And, and this is the idea. That the church would advance in every part of the globe. And no place left untouched. We've stormed every gate. <laughs> and taken it for Christ. Now, this is the idea. Now, you can see many things that Jesus said where he would talk, describe the book of Acts, the advance of the gospel, the gospel kingdom going into the Roman Empire, going beyond that, going into, and then you can look at church history and talk about India all the way to England. You can look at the North America and how it got here. But the church has done this. The church has gone in offense all across the globe. And he said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. That will be the end of the age. So we all kind of know this pattern. But here's, here's what I want to do today. The apostles were given this charge to do this. Take the gospel of the kingdom and spread it. What did that actually look like? And some of you, you may have studied this from text, the text of scripture. and Maybe you're, you're unaware of this particular aspect of the ministry. How did it happen? What did the apostles do to, in effect, obey what Jesus said here? How did they take the gospel and spread it throughout the Roman Empire? It's a very important pattern that you need to know because if we want to do the same thing in our day, we need to understand what that pattern was and align with that pattern of gospel ministry. So in Romans chapter 15, 
18 to 21, Paul gives us a little clue, and then we can see it all play out in Acts as well, Acts 14 and Acts 16, where the way Paul views the gospel expansion in his day, he has some assumptions, and I want us to look at those assumptions, and I want to start in Romans 15, 18 to 21, with the things that he says here. So follow along with me here. In verse 18 he says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Now, who's the builder of the church? Jesus, through Paul. So Paul says he's done it through me. To bring the Gentiles to obedience. Paul had a specific ministry to go to the Gentile, the non-Jew, the Greek, the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire. And he's going to the non-Jew. And he's going and, he's, and Jesus is using Paul to draw in the non-Jew into the gospel to receive all the benefits of the covenant of God, of God in Jesus Christ. Paul is being used that way. Gentiles are coming to obey the Lord Jesus Christ through me. And then he says, by word and deed. Paul didn't go around with a sword forcing people into following Jesus' command. No, it was through his obeying Jesus in his life and proclaiming Jesus in his messages. And that was his power. That's what he used. The Spirit of God talking to the consciences of men and drawing them in and seeing them obey Christ through Paul's ministry. Jesus is building his church through Paul. Okay, Then, uh, by power and signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So Paul was an apostle. He was called to do this particular thing, to spread the message of the gospel. And so Paul would preach a message when God would come alongside Paul and do supernatural works all around him to affirm his message and to say, he's with me. And no one could deny it because of the things that were done through an apostle were supernatural and they were clearly supernatural to everyone. We even looked at this a few weeks ago with Peter. No one could deny that this man was healed. And so you have to listen to the message of the guy who was responsible for that because obviously God's with him. Paul, Paul, God had... Jesus did this through Paul all over the place. But then he says here, in very practical terms, so that from Jerusalem, a real city, time and place in that time, all the way around to Illyricum. Illyricum is up uh, from Jerusalem. You have to go up through Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, through Greece, which is Macedonia today, up closer to the border of Italy. And then you would get to Illyricum. So this is the, uh, the expanse that he's talking about there. Northern Mediterranean, northeastern Mediterranean area right there. He says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's a powerful statement. I've done what Jesus ordered me to do. I did it how he wanted me to do it. I marched. I did this. And I have fulfilled it. I'm satisfied in my life that I have obeyed Jesus and his command and his call on my life. So the gospel spread from Jerusalem, Paul says, all the way to Illyricum at that time. This is spelled out more in Acts 14 and 16, some of the things I'm going to mention here. But here's the way Paul would think about ministry. Here's how he did it. Paul would, if he wants to impact a region, he would go to the cultural center, the major metropolitan area that would be a culture, cultural center for an area. He would go to the cities. And in the cities, he would go to the synagogue. 
The synagogue is the gathering of Jews. Uh, uh, never mind, I'm not going to impact the synagogue. But the synagogue would be the gathering of the Jews in that particular location. They preserve their culture and their heritage, and they study the Word of God, and they pray together all in that particular location because they can't access the temple, so they go to the synagogue. So the Jews gather there. Well, Paul would go to a synagogue and preach Jesus. Same thing Jesus did, Jew first, then the Gentile. So he would go to the Jew first in the city, preach Jesus there. Some would believe, some wouldn't, some would get really violent. Paul would take the ones who, who believe, along with the God-fearing Gentiles who were among the Jews and following the, the Old Testament law, um, he would take all of them and he would gather them together and structure them. And would you know, he structured it very similar to a Jewish synagogue. And it's, a, and it's called a local church. These people would gather together, they would worship, they would obey the commands of Jesus together. And then Paul would... Uh, after giving time of discipling them in the word and giving leadership structure to them and creating rhythms for them of worship and prayer and all of those sorts of things, he would leave them there in that city to impact their city and he would go on to the next city. He would leave. And what would he do in the next city? Well, the way he would pick that city is, what's the most influential cultural center I can find? And he would go there, and he would go to the synagogue, and he would preach, and he would do this over and over, city hopping, city hopping, city hopping, all the way from Jerusalem, all the way to Illyricum in this passage, but even beyond that. And then in verse 20, he says this, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying, I long to keep going to cities and preach the gospel where there are no Christian churches and Christ has not been preached and proclaimed there. I want to go where no one, no one is proclaiming the message of Jesus. I want to go where no one's gone with the gospel. And that's what I'm called to do. And so that's what Paul did. Now let me give you a couple of assumptions as we think about the ministry of Paul, the way he spread the gospel, um, and, and I think these assumptions are, are, are pretty clear. First strategic assumption for Paul. The best way to make a gospel impact in a region, an area, was to first target cities within that region that were the cultural centers. The second strategic assumption that Paul had, the best way to impact a city was to preach the gospel to the Jews present and the God-fearing Greeks, gather those who believe together into community to form a local church. And Paul would say that local church would continue what he began, the proclamation of the gospel, uh, discipleship in Christ, growing in Christ, and they would do it communally there in that location. And in those rhythms, they would impact their city People would become, be exposed more and more to the gospel in that city, and that's how the ministry would, would, would happen there. Paul gives us another clue in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, where he's writing, Titus is a young pastor. Paul's the mentor, handing off the baton to a young pastor named Titus. In, in, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, he says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, the island of Crete. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So within the region of Crete, churches were localized into town. Each congregation was in a different town. 
and they were localized in a town. And Titus had the job from Paul to go put pastors over each of these local congregations in these local towns, or you could even call them villages. Why? Because a local church was put there and it's structured to do the gospel mission in its local area, in its local context. And so this is the idea. This is the way ministry advanced. This is the way churches were planted. The gospel continued to go on. Um, This is the idea of the biblical model. I say all that to, to now pivot and say it is totally appropriate for every church to think about their city as their mission. We're here for a mission in our local context. We continue the gospel ministry and doing what was started here in our local context. And so every church should really think about it that way. That's what they were formed to do. We have been planted here for the mission of the gospel in this city. Bannockburn has two strategic locations in our city, South Austin and in Dripping Springs. Our current campuses exist in those areas to impact their local communities and continue the gospel mission. What? The obedience of the Gentile to Christ through us. We continue in that mission together as a community. We proclaim the gospel. We worship the Lord. We study his word. We walk in his ways. We do evangelism with people that we're around. We have conversations and we experience Christ use us in the lives of others to bring them to himself. And one way a church, a local church, can impact a region is through a multi-site approach to ministry. One church, one church together in multiple locations, local towns. Um, The multi-site church strategy, let me put this quote up here. The multi-site church strategy is a vehicle We don't have a vision of being a multi-site church. No, our our vision is tied to our mission. It's a vehicle that helps us accomplish our mission in a different location. That's all. So the multi-site church strategy is a vehicle that helps churches reach people in other areas of our city that we can't effectively reach from our current locations. Bannockburn was planted in 1973 right here in this location. The Austin Metroplex was a very different place in 1973. Agreed? Yeah. A much smaller city. Uh, Then the 90s hit. You know, you see some explosive growth because of the technology growth and all those sorts of things. And Bannockburn South Austin grows and becomes a very large church with lots of people gathering in this location. And Bannockburn began to have a regional impact. People started driving from way out surrounding areas to this one large church in one location. And one critical place they started driving from was Dripping Springs. Many people used to live in South Austin and they're part of Bannockburn. And they moved out to Dripping Springs and they just kept driving back. To Bannockburn, because it's a church they loved. They were here for many years, and they kept driving to this South Austin location. And as our city has grown, our regional presence has also grown. Many people who lived in South Austin have migrated out. They've moved south along 35 Corridor, and they moved out uh, west toward Dripping Springs for the most part. 
Around 10 years ago, Bannockburn chose the vehicle of multi-site, a way where we can be one church, but also allow the people in Dripping Springs to create gospel community in their local context, in a new area of the city that was growing. And so we sent from our fellowship in South Austin, 75 to 100 people, and they went out and they created a gospel community there with the mission of doing what every local church is supposed to do, impact your local community with the gospel ministry. That move has proven to be fruitful, very fruitful. Dripping Springs Campus is flourishing with growth and impact in their local community. We're seeing 30 to 40% growth annually for a local congregation, and that is way high on the charts if you had to list it on, among churches. I think it's reasonable for me to say Bannockburn is having an impact right now in Dripping Springs that there is no way that we could have had had we remained only a church in South Austin location only. I think it's reasonable for us to see that. We took the church to Dripping Springs community and developed a community there that's playing out the gospel ministry in their local context. And we have experienced a greater impact on our city as a whole than we ever could have from South Austin location only. The driving challenges alone in the growth of our city would inhibit us from being able to really do that. When I arrived at Bannockburn six years ago, I was given a map of our entire city. It was this giant printout that Travis McClay handed me. And he just said, I just want you to see you know, where, where, where all these people are. On this map of the whole city of Austin, all the, metro, all the surrounding areas as well, um, he had printed off a, a diagram that had a little red pin at every home or address that represented someone in our church, where they lived, um, in, in proximity to our, our church. And on that map, there were some obvious conclusions. You can just see it just like that. First, most of the little pins, obviously, were right down here in South Austin within about a three to five mile radius of this campus, very concentrated. Most of the pins were, were there. Secondly, there was a large pocket of little red pins, but I would say spread out pretty, pretty wide um, in Dripping Springs. But a significant number of people living way out in Dripping Springs, and I said, it's because all y'all own ranches or something, because their addresses are all kind of spread out out there. Um, but thirdly, I saw another very strong concentrated group of pens down the 35 corridor in Buda and Kyle and even Lockhart. Somebody's driving from Lockhart all the way to South Austin, so it's pretty awesome. But there's a bunch of them. And I would say I counted more pens in the Buda Kyle area on, along the 35 corridor than I did in Dripping Springs in that day. I don't know that, I think it would be different, but there were more people driving in from Kyle and Buda than we had in Dripping Springs, and we're seeing the, the fruit in Dripping Springs right now. So I thought to myself when I saw those, and I studied it for, for many, many weeks. I studied that and prayed over it, that we have a ton of people driving from that area to the South Austin campus. In that moment, six years ago, I felt very strongly that we need to localize those people and empower them for their local ministry in the Butikal area. I felt very strongly that that's what we needed to do as a church um, 
so for a long time I've been mentioning it and I've been, I've been talking about it. Um, but I kept putting it off because we as a church, we had some other things that we were addressing. I was a new pastor. You're getting to know me. I'm getting to know you. You want to give that a couple of years before you ever try to just launch off, right? Uh, so you're trying to just, um, you know, be familiar with one another. But then we had some other things. We had BCA, the challenge we were facing there. Uh, we had some other things we were trying to, to write. And we, I just always felt the sense that it wasn't the time. We, it wasn't time yet. And I didn't feel the Lord just saying, hey, it's time to go. Um, I just knew it was out there. And I even prayed in that direction for, for, for years. But last August, I was in a Christ Together Greater Austin board meeting. Now, Christ Together Greater Austin, if you don't know what that is, there's hundreds of churches that all come together. And we say, hey, we're together for the gospel in Austin. We want Christ to own the city. We want him king of the city in every heart. Uh, and so we all together are going to lock in on that mission. And so let's do some things together, right? So Christ Together Greater Austin um, is what hundreds of churches are all, and we're part of that. Um, well, there's a board for all those churches representative. I'm on that board with 12, 14 other pastors or so. We meet regularly. One thing we do as a board is we think about our city in terms of um, how do we impact our city for the Lord. Well, we knew there is a large influx of, of people coming in from all over the country who are planting churches in Austin. And the reason they're coming in to plant churches in Austin because it's full of opportunity. First, Austin, the ratio of Christian uh, to the population is high, is, is low. We'll just say that. It's low for Texas. We'll say that. The opportunity here is great for church planters. Lots of people who don't know the Lord, in other words. And so they come here to reach people. And they want to plant a church same way Paul did. Um, and they want to come here and proclaim the gospel, start a church to do that mission. The other reason is because the population growth here. There's a lot of people that need churches, and the, the, the churches that already exist don't have chairs enough for them. We need to plant churches. New, new, plant, new church plants actually reach people much faster than established churches. They both have a very vital function in the whole kingdom enterprise. Established churches have great value, but they can't reach, they don't seem to reach um, uh, people, lost people, for Christ as fast as a new church plant. It's just one of those dynamics, research tells us. So church planters are coming into Austin from all over the country because they see what's happening in Austin and the need for the gospel, okay? So we wanted to prepare these planters for when they come to the city, where should you go? What's happening in the city? What's the growth? Uh, what, what, where, where should you plant? We want to help them. So we invested in a large study. The lady uh, retired from Dell Computers doing research and development and all kinds of things. And she did a massive research pro a process for us and a report. And she was giving the report on the, 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 the spiritual state of Austin, the demographic studies, the growth studies, the trends, where we're going. And I, we're all listening to that report at this particular board meeting. And in one of her slides, she says, if you want to know where we need churches now, and we need them quick, there's two areas, and I, well, there's multiple areas she listed, but the, high, the two highest areas. Number one, can you guess what it would be? Leander. I know I threw you off. Sorry. <laughs> Leander. It's growing rapidly, and there's not enough churches to meet the demand of the population growth. The ratio is very low, and they're saying we need churches in Leander now. Um, we don't have anybody in Leander. I looked. <laughs> Not, probably not a great opportunity. We have to build from scratch. It's not a great place for a campus. 
You know what number two and three were? Buda, Cal. And she looked at us and she says, we need churches in Buda, Cal last year. And when I heard that, the Lord just whispered to my heart, the, flips, the, the switch flipped, and I thought, it's time. It's time. Why? Because we have people and resources in that area that few churches have. If church planters want to go to Buda Kyle, they got to start from scratch for the most part. They got to come in and try to <laughs> talk to people and build a, build a following and start something from basically scratch. We already have hundreds of people in the Butical area. No, they're not all here this morning. I'm not saying that. But they are there. They are involved in our church from history. It's people who have grown up at Bannockburn and been here a long time and moved out to Buda or Kyle or even beyond. Or it's people who moved into town at Buda Kyle, found Bannockburn and started making the drive. But we have tons of resources and people and influence in the community. That's astounding. We have the people and the resources and the influence to start a very successful and thriving, I believe, got local gospel ministry for Bannockburn with the multi-site vehicle in the Butikal area. And I believe it will flourish and it will flourish quickly. When she said those words, we need it now, I knew we had the resources. And I began to say, okay, it's time. And in that moment, I also said, well, what do I do? <laughs> so I came back and I was like, well, Bannockburn, you know, we got bylaws. So what does the bylaw say I need to do? It says, Bannockburn shall plant campuses purview the pastor. In other words, what that means is I got to make a call. And it means that um, no one can make the motion in this church to plant a campus out other than me. I, that's my job. That's what I do. And, and, and so I go, okay, what I decided to do was I decided to just go start having conversations with people who lived in the area. Um, this is just me doing reconnaissance, uh, just checking out, how, are people open to this? Are, are, are people even wanting something like this? I don't know. Um, but I, I know generally what we have out there, and I've heard people whisper in my ear for six years, but what do, I re what do we really have out there? So I just started having coffees and, and talking in people's living rooms and just having little conversations with them, just going and getting a little bit. And for me, I was asking the Lord, Lord, as I have these conversations, will you confirm or show me I'm crazy, one or the other? And, and from August, all, actually all the way up to November and praying about it and having these conversations starting in December all the way to January, I took that time just to do reconnaissance work. Talk to people, write down a name, a family. Who, who's interested in this? And conversation after conversation after conversation, it was affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. The spirit in them, talking to the spirit in me, we're all together. I sense this. I sense a great sense of excitement about it. It's kind of like a Gideon's fleece for me. You know, Lord, uh, this would be the first campus that I would plant as a church, as a pastor of this church. And um, I need to make sure I'm not doing something crazy here. But I was affirmed constantly in every conversation that I had. Exciting and supportive. One of the challenges that Bannockburn members face in Butikyle is that they want to invite friends to church and other activities. But the activities are all in South Austin. And it's becoming increasingly more and more difficult to invite others in that area all the way to South Austin for church and church activities. 
Now, people who come here from Butakal love this church, and they don't mind the drive. But what they're finding is the, the friends they want to invite to engage in the ministries that we have, they don't want to drive. And so our people in the Butakal area are finding themselves less and less able to leverage their friendships and relationships and leverage the ministries of the church that are provided for the purpose of the gospel. And we're a big invite church. Uh, we, we tell you, invest, invite. That's how we reach our community. Invest in people, invite them. Invite them to things. Invite them to conversations and all kinds of things. So they need ministry in their community for their community. That's what I was hearing loud and clear. Parents want their kids going to church with their friends from school and with church. This is just a normal thing. And I know of several families that I'm friends with that actually started looking at churches, went out of God's will. I'm just joking. Just joking. We're all on the same team. Amen. But they started looking at other churches because they really are longing for that local community for their kids and their family. And they want local impact too. They want to be able to invest in their community in the gospel way. So the Bannockburn people in Butakal find it hard to leverage their influence in their community because of the distance and the location. The multi-site campus approach to gospel ministry allows us as a church to take Bannockburn to them. We can empower Bannockburn people to impact their community in their community and still be a part of Bannockburn, the church they love. But all I had was excited people. That's what I found. And all I had was some people who are really excited and a whole bunch of them. And if you've been in ministry very long at all, um, you question, all right, I know they're excited verbally, but will they really do what it takes to plan a campus, right? Um, if a multi-site campus will grow and be effective and flourish, it'll take a few of what I call the Navy SEALs. They're going to make sacrifices. They have to be the ones willing to, to let go of the programs and the big and the nice and the things that they enjoy and and, and, and do I have people that are willing to do that? So we had a commitment service to see how the people would respond. And they were challenged to pray over a month about it, their level of commitment. And then we came together at the Evo Entertainment Center um, down in Kyle on a weekday evening. And we were going to just say, who's, who's willing to sign on the dotted line for this? Because uh, that's where you find out what you really, really have. Um, and so we had people come together. We had a great time in the movie theater. Um, had some dinner, uh, and then we began to talk about the potential campus, and we said, if you're ready to commit tonight, um, you can fill out a card. And that card actually was calling for a, a three-level commitment. I'm going to attend a Butakal campus if that were to happen. I will serve in a ministry capacity on that campus, and I will support that campus financially. Okay, Those were the three commitments that we were asking for. And the 84 people filled out commitment cards and committed to those three things. They will make the sacrifice, in other words. 84 people. Now, these commitments are very encouraging because I know when I'm just dabbling in the world of uh, church planting, if you've got 84 people committing to something before a decision's even been made, um, that could turn into much more than that very quickly once a decision has been made. I believe that with all my heart. It means there's big time potential for a flourishing gospel ministry for Bannockburn in the Butakal area. And my conclusion to that was that God has provided the people, the influence, the resources to do this. My next step, according to the bylaws, was to assemble an ad hoc team 
Um, and so a committee to come together to make sure pastor's not jumping off the stupid cliff, which can happen. I want you to know that you have a pastor that delights in people being around me to help me see blind sides. I don't go off of whims. I don't like whimsical type ministry. I think Christ is working in the body for us all to work together. And I think he will affirm in you if that's what he's doing in me. And if he, he'll shape it along the way and we'll all work in unison together for the mission. Amen. So just know I love this process. Um, but that was the next step is to assemble this team. We met with them. We introduced the idea. We told them the story, the process I'd taken to discern God's will. They began to process that and move in prayer. They had conversations and prayed together over about a month and a half time period and processed all the readiness that we have, the financial readiness, the location, all the factors. They, they processed it for a little over a month. And then the team came together last month and voted unanimously to bring it before the church as a whole for consideration. That's all that means is now we're moving into the realm where I'm laying that out before you now. Um, and uh, they, they felt like, yeah, there's risk involved in everything. We, we hashed out that risk. We said, let's take it to the church, let's have the conversation. And so that's where we are here today. Two weeks after that vote occurred, I want you to know, the church received a $600,000 donation. I told you that last week. $200,000 of that was dedicated toward if this church moves to go to Budokal, it would go toward that. $200,000 of that campus in Budokal. So the good news is that the risk that we would take together financially is already... Um, not really a risk. It's kind of funded. I would say we could probably fund the whole initiative of that campus plant for a year and a half. I would say we could stretch it probably to two years um, with, with just the, the people that have committed to that over and above the tithe and the 200000 that we have there. I think that we could more than um, take care of it for a year and a half, two years of going in that direction. What I'm asking today from our church is that we take the risk. That we take the risk. I believe this is where the Lord is leading us. I would love nothing more than to empower these people to, to have a local gospel ministry for their local community and it still be Bannockburn. I believe that we'll experience great gospel flourishing there. I think we will grow rapidly in that area. We will have great influence. The area needs it. Our city's growing. Um, all of this stuff aligns together. And so I'm leading you today to consider uh, for that. One more thing. We aren't planning this campus in the dark. It's not like we have to figure out how to do multi-site in order to go. We have done a successful plant in Dripping Springs. In fact, I'd say we learned a lot from our Dripping Springs plant, and so that we won't make some of the mistakes, perhaps, that we've made along that journey. Um, I believe we could see flourishing happen quicker in Budokal because we know what not to do, and we have ourselves structured in a way to be able to do that. Lastly, let me acknowledge, too, there is a cost <laughs> There's a cost relationally to planning a campus. And yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of pain. That you got a friend that wants to go and tackle their community with the Lord. Maybe not tackle is not the best term there. Um, but to invest in their own community for the gospel purposes. And there's someone you're not going to see here in South Austin. You live here, I live here, we live here, but they live there. And, and them going there on mission means I'll probably see them a lot less. And that grieves my heart, right? 
I can tell you this. Yes, there's a little bit of pain in there. I know, I know. It's not, it's not easy. But remember, I really love the phrase that we, we are a church that puts our community mission ahead of our comforts. There are ways to stay connected, and we do those things. There are ways for a multi-site to stay connected, and we do those. Um, but we have to understand that when we move out and take those risks and we, we, we make those sacrifices, even relational sacrifices, um, God blesses. Um, it's just something about the gospel ministry. Yes, you say, oh, well, if we send them out of South Austin, then we'll have less people here. I would say maybe temporarily. What I have found, if you think about like planting grass, <laughs> it's like planting grass. It's not like giving away coins. It's not just a, an even math. It's like God supernaturally backfills the place that makes the sacrifice to sin. This is something that's really interesting. It's a supernatural thing. Church planners would tell you this all over the place. Consultants, they would say, no, what you'll find is there will be a growth from the sending location that's hardest hit. You'll feel it. You'll have the people on the platform ready to commission them, and you'll go, oh, my goodness, they're serving kids, man. Uh, they, they're a life group leader. Uh, and you're like, oh, we're making a dumb mistake here. You know, you will feel that. They say it's common. You're going to feel that. But if you take the risk and you launch them and you send them off on the mission, it is, it is a mystery of how God backfills them and there's growth even in the location that is willing to send them. It's a mystery, but I, I believe it will happen. Will you join me and these 84 people in seeing the gospel potential that we have in the Butikal area? I believe now is the time for us to do it. I want you to begin praying about it and considering it. Tonight we're going to have a family meeting in this room, uh, I believe at 5 o'clock. And we're going to lay out some more of those demographics that I mentioned to you, more, more data and, and things like that. Um, you'll have time to, to, to ask questions and share anything that you want to share. It will be a family meeting tonight. I invite you back. Come and process that with us. And then in two weeks on Sunday morning, um, you're going to have the opportunity. This is how we roll at Bannockburn. We vote. We go together. We commit to things together. We make decisions together. And so you're going to have a ballot. You'll be able to vote in two weeks on Sunday morning. Assuming that we have an affirmative vote as a church, at, after that affirmative vote, we will commission this group to go and plant a campus in the Butical area. Now, if we were to plant a campus in the Butical area, it's not like we go like next month and we plant it. Um, it actually takes probably about a year for us to actually even launch the campus. So it takes quite a while to actually go once you make the decision. But the decision, we will have a vote in two weeks on Sunday morning, and it will happen right here in uh, our worship service at the very, be I believe the very beginning or first, first portion, okay? Um, so be praying about that. Let's start having those conversations and let's decide together, okay? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the good things that you've provided Bannockburn over the years. We thank you for where you've placed us and you've placed us for the mission of the gospel. And Lord, as we begin the process of working together as a body and praying and seeking your face and seeking your will, would you guide, guide us in wisdom, in unity, in clarity, and Lord, I pray that our hearts would even feel a sense of rejoicing and opportunity, that we can plant gospel seeds for the future of the gospel ministry of Jesus, people coming to know Christ, positioning Bannockburn for a growing city, and the future of Bannockburn being bright and missional and walking with you. Lord, I just delight in all those things. 
Thank you for our time together today. Pray that you'd guide us in unity in all of this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me all across the room? And let's sing to the Lord.